I want to share a message tonight around the thought of restoration and accusations. Restoration and accusations. We're going to be reading from Zechariah chapter 3. And I've been in the Old Testament quite a bit because there are so many books of the Bible in the Old Testament, uh, especially some of the prophetic books like, like uh, Zechariah and Micah and Amos that actually deal with maybe a little bit of a similar situation that we are in now where God's people are in a situation where they need God to restore. Now, this one, there was a lot of disobedience and God had sent them into exile in Babylon. And maybe we're not in exile, but we are going to have to recover from this season in maybe more ways than, than one, some of us more than others. And so I've been searching the scriptures about restoration because I believe that God is going to restore some of the things, much, much of the things we've lost during this season. And Zechariah 3, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about a particular incident that happened that, that gives me the chills every time I read it. But I wanna catch you up on what actually happened in Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 2. God actually gave Zechariah a vision of someone measuring the city of Jerusalem. And then he begins to talk to his people in the later chapters of Zechariah about how he was going to restore things in their lives. Come on, are you believing for restoration? If you're believing for restoration, just type restore in the comments. Restoration, I really believe God is a God of restoration. But here's the interesting thing in Zechariah. Before he got to telling Zechariah how he was going to restore things for people, he gave Zechariah a vision of someone measuring the city of Jerusalem. And he was telling them, I'm getting ready to rebuild the city. I honestly believe right now, this may be one of the times in all of history where the city is hurting the most, the city of Los Angeles, the city you may be watching from. And it just gave me so much comfort to know that God had someone measure the city. Why? Because if he's going to restore a city, you know he's going to restore my home. I'm going to say that again. If God has plans to restore a city, you know he has plans to restore our homes. I really believe in this season, Zechariah, this book, beautiful book of the Bible, talks about personal revival and corporate restoration. Personal revival and corporate restoration. What do I mean by that? I mean that we need to have our relationship with Jesus personally revived, stronger than it's ever been before. And if we can have personal revival, then we can have the faith to believe for corporate restoration. I want Oasis Faith to move beyond believing that God's going to restore my stuff. But how about we put a we in there? How about we have so much faith that we have so much personal revival that we're believing God to restore a city, not just our household, not just me and mine, but God, would you bring restoration to a city? And if you really have personal revival happening, you can believe for restoration for a nation. I really believe we are in a season of personal revival and corporate restoration. This is why I wanted to share tonight from Zechariah because Zechariah is all about personal revival and corporate restoration. And we're going to read an interesting chapter of scripture, which is where I got the title, Restoration and 
accusations. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Uh, this is, of course, Zechariah having a vision. And it says, then the angel showed me Jeshua, the, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, listen to his nickname, the accuser, Satan, come on, Satan always snitching, dry snitching, just snitching. Snitches get stitches. I don't know. I felt like saying that. It says the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Jeshua. I, I want you to catch this. The, the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand. Throughout scripture, where it says that Jesus will sit at the right hand of the Father, the right hand in scripture represents authority. So when the devil showed up trying to accuse Jeshua, he stood at the right hand of the angel trying to say to Jeshua that I, am, I have positioned myself in a spot of authority. This is what the enemy tries to do when he accuses us. He tries to position himself like he has authority. But Jesus paid the price for our sins. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The enemy has no authority over your life. But he will try to speak to you while positioning himself in a place of authority. And he has no right to be there. It says the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. Think about this for a second. Zechariah chapter 1, restoration. Zechariah chapter 2, more plans for restoration. Zechariah chapter 3, we get an accusation. So we move from restoration to, to accusation, and I want you to write this down. As soon as God starts talking restoration, the enemy starts talking accusations. Woo! I'm gonna say that again. Doesn't, when God's getting ready to do a miracle, when God's getting ready to move in your life, isn't that when you hear the loudest that you're not good enough? that you don't have what it takes, that God is not for you, that your sins cannot be forgiven, that you won't be able to move past those sins because the Holy Spirit is working in you, that you won't be able to obey God, that being a believer is too hard. Isn't it true that as soon as God starts speaking restoration, the, the enemy starts speaking accusations? He, he, he tries to make us think that God is not for us because of the things that we have done. And I'm not saying this is an excuse to keep going that way, but here is what I'm saying. This next season of restoration is not about how good you are, it's about how good God is. And God is so good that he takes people who don't deserve it and he restores them through personal revival and uses them to bring about corporate restoration. The enemy is right on time with that, isn't he? As soon as God starts talking, restoration the enemy starts talking accusations but the bible says in in verse 2 that the lord said to satan watch this i the lord reject your accusation satan yes the lord who has chosen jerusalem rebukes you i love this verse see see the enemy showed up and it was accusing jeshua of of, of probably his sins and his mistakes 
And, and I would think that the Lord would turn to Jeshua and reject him, but the Lord turned to Satan and rejected his accusations. Yes, when, when the enemy shows up to accuse us and tell us that we're falling short and we're not doing right, there is rejection that takes place, but not God rejecting you and I, God rejecting the accusations of the accuser. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It says the Lord rejects your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. When you feel like you are not good, as, good enough, you have to remind that you're not auditioning, you're chosen. Please remind yourself, allow the Holy Spirit to remind someone that you're not auditioning, you're, you're chosen. I remember I explained it one time this way. You've seen the television show, The Voice, and, and the judges on The Voice sit in these, these chairs that look like thrones and their backs are to the performer. And, and how it works is the performer has to sing the right way, uh, uh, sing in the right key and, and, and sing the melody just right. And, and if the judge is pleased with the audition, they hit the button and turn around. This is not how God's wor God works. God's back is not to you, waiting for you to pray the right prayer, uh, go to church enough. These things are important. He's not waiting for you to study the Bible enough, but, but his chair, his throne is already torn, turned towards you. His face is set upon you and he has a smile on his face and he wants to invite you in to relationships so he can show you the way to live. God rejected the accusation, not the person. And he says this interesting thing, the, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you, Satan. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. He's saying, I rescued him out of the fire of sin. And you got to remember sin is fire. It, it burns and singes hopes, dreams, peace, destinies. And he's saying, I snatched him out of the fire. So I'm aware of the damage that the fire has done. I'm the one who rescued him. I'm the one who saved him. I'm the one who knows him. I'm the one who formed him in his mother's womb. You don't need to tell me about his failures. I know all of them. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. What a beautiful picture that God knows us, our failures, our shortcomings, and he doesn't allow the enemy to use those things against us. Verse three goes on to say, Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. This is so important because Jeshua was the priest. There is no way throughout scripture, a priest's clothes in order to be invited into the presence of God had to be pristine absolutely clean. Matter of fact, when they would do the sacrifices, they'd have to switch clothes before they had to go. They had to carry all kind of new fits to the presence of God. You know, you put on your Sunday best, they would have had to change their clothes multiple times. They weren't allowed to be in God's presence with even a speck of dirt on their priestly garments. But this scripture says Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. What a beautiful picture. And it says in turning to Jeshua, he gives him the point of why this is happening. See, 
I have taken away your sins and now I'm giving you these new fine clothes. What a powerful moment in the presence of God where Jeshua realized that he was literally covered in filth. And maybe that's what you think your life is like. Maybe that's what you think your sins have done to you and they very well may have, but God doesn't want you to change your own clothes. Religion is trying to change your own clothes and dress up and dress the part. And, and God's saying, no, no, no. He made the angels tend to the priest. This is so important we understand this about grace because a lot of churches, and we say this, come as you are, and we mean it. We want you to be able to come to Oasis Church as you are, no matter where you've been, what you've done. But grace says, come as you are, but it also says, don't stay that way. God has enough grace, not to just for you to come as you are, but God has enough grace that you would leave changed and transformed. Matter of fact, this is my prayer that you wouldn't be at home right now. Type it in the comments. So good. Yeah, matter of fact, you can go ahead and type in the comments. So good. But it, you wouldn't say that the sermon is so good, but nothing so good has happened on the inside of you. And I think we can become numb to content online. But the point is that grace would say, come as you are, but it would also say, don't stay that way. The Bible says in verse five that the angels, they, they, they put a, uh, they should also place a, a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. And this is so important because this is the picture where we are dressed, given the righteousness of God. And I want you to write this down. This is so important. If you don't remember anything else from this Wednesday night service, I want you to remember this. Some of the greatest miracles require for you to be dressed for the occasion. Whoo, I'm gonna say that again. Man, that was good. I said some of the greatest miracles require for you to be dressed for the occasion. What do I mean? Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me, come on, come through dripping, and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Think about someone getting married and they're wearing a tuxedo and they're wearing a wedding dress because they have such an awareness that they need to be dressed for the occasion. And certain blessings and certain miracles require for you to be dressed in robes of righteousness. And, and we're gonna get why. We're gonna hear why in just a moment. Here's why. Because I believe God is saying to you and I, through redressing Jeshua, through redressing you and I, to actually not allowing grace to just let us stay the same, but if you are really walking in grace, each and every year, you allow the Holy Spirit to deal with sin, thought processes in your life. Why? Because God is saying, my grace is how you get the blessing. My character is how you keep the blessing. I'm going to say that again. My grace is how you get the blessing. My character is how your, your character is how you keep the blessing. God dressed the priests 
in robes of righteousness. And God wants you and I to be dressed in robes of his character because it's grace. It's going to be how we get some of this stuff, but our character, walking in the image of Christ, Jesus, is how we keep it. Verse 8 says, Listen to me, O Jeshua the high priest and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. He's talking about Jesus. Now look at the jewel I have set before Jeshua, a single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. I'm so grateful for Oasis Church and I miss seeing all of you, but we're talking about restoration and we're talking about accusations. And here's the thing that I know about this scripture is that God set forth a plan not to just restore a family, but to restore a city. And then the enemy came and began to bring accusations against God's people. And we see here in this passage of scripture that God did not reject his people. He rejected the accusations of the enemy. And when it's all said and done and God begins to reject the accusations of the enemy so he can restore the destiny of his people, what it ends with is not a massive gathering at a building where thousands of people, yes, we miss it, I miss it, but the end of this verse does not 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 lead to thousands of people gathering and the governor saying it's lifted and everybody celebrating and clapping and and it's legacy nights again and we're all cheering do i hope that happens yes but that is not the way this verse ends this verse ends by saying on that day when i restore each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own great vine and, and, and fig tree. You know, we've had the pleasure and, and privilege of sitting under the grapevine and the fig tree of Wilshire and Normandy and 35 years of service from our founding pastors, Philip and, and Holly. But what if God wants to give you your own grapevine and fig tree, the thing that God does through you and for you? And what if your neighbor's never gonna come to church? What if your neighbor's never gonna get in the car and drive half an hour to Wilshire and Normandy? And what if reaching people, we've made it a bit complicated? What if reaching people just been our vision for the, all the time, years we've been at church. What if reaching people in this next season is just somebody sitting at your house peacefully under your grapevine and fig tree? Now, obviously, you probably don't have a grapevine and a fig tree in your front yard, but, but, but what are we saying? It's our neighbor sitting under the restoration of a neighbor who's been blessed by God. That they would enjoy and be a part of what they didn't even have to go through. What if in this season, 
the weight that you're feeling at home and the wonder of, is God really going to do it? What if your neighbor is going to be able to enjoy the restoration of the fruit that God brings in your life? What if that is corporate restoration? Yes, I'm hoping that we get to gather in our building one day. I, I, I do miss many parts of it, but I'm just setting before you that this verse did not end like that. It ended with neighbor sitting with neighbor peacefully. And so this is my prayer for you, that in a great season of personal revival and corporate restoration, you would not let the accusations drown out God's restoration and you would look forward to the day, yes, when you can come back to the building, but when your neighbor can sit peacefully with you under all that God has done in your life. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of the accusations of the enemy trying to tell us we're not good enough or you're not going to do this, Lord, we do not receive that and we know that you reject those accusations. And God, lead us as your people to restoration. And God, yes, we are believing for the end of this coronavirus and we want to gather again. But the end of this verse is what we are expecting. A neighbor would sit with neighbor under all the things that God has done. And that what you do for us would bless my neighbor Debbie next door and would bless sweet Miss Rebecca to the to the left of me, God, and all of our neighbors across the street, Lord. Matter of fact, we just lift up all the neighbors right now. If you're just watching right now, just extend your hands out in all directions and say, God, will you use this time of restoration to bless my neighbor? My neighbor's gonna sit with me after this, with me, admiring all that God has done in my life. We believe you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.